R-N-N. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means. Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Tonight's featured show is Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Welcome to the Republic News Network for our live national broadcast. You may call me Kelby, and tonight I'm going to be acting as your moderator. The RNN, which stands for the Republic News Network, has been doing this radio show since 2010, and it's always been a friendly introduction for the people of the United States Corporation. Here we go. It's true. The United States is a federal corporation, and their exclusive jurisdiction is in the District of Columbia. The Republic government was simply a bunch of U.S. citizens that, in law, don't have access to the Bill of Rights. And they realized they wanted to be Americans, as our founders and our law provided each and every one of us. See, we've been hard at work since 2008, and since 2010, we have successfully re-inhabited the original government vacated under Lincoln in 1861. I know, it's hard to understand. Don't worry. We are law-abiding, peaceful Americans and very pro-government, and we love our country. You can consider the Republic members are tired of the corruption that we see every day. See, we found in the law that there is two forms of government here on the land, and we did something about it. We are people. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters. We have families just like you. We simply found some truths, and now we're sharing these important truths with the rest of the world. So get ready to hear things that sound amazing, and get ready to understand that you, too, are about to be a part of history. We welcome each one of you to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel and your republic, if you so choose. But before we go into our broadcast tonight, please bow your head in prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for this opportunity to just share wisdom and understanding and knowledge of what's really going on in this world. We appreciate what you're doing and watching over us. Bless this show and uh, bless the guests. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mr. Happel, I yield the floor to you. Well, thank you, Kelby. Tonight we are having a special guest on, a guest that hasn't been on for quite a, uh, quite a long time, but someone who is very near and dear to uh, the subjects that we're talking about tonight, and uh, that is Major General Paul Vallely. Uh, Major General Paul Vallely is an uh, expert on much of the international happenings that are going on right now. Uh, in this country. He is also very well versed on what's been happening with the uh, Trump administration and some of the, uh, let's say, the um, uh, embedded bureaucrats and the embedded problems that are held over from the Obama administration after eight years of of uh, really communist uh, takeover of much of our country. Uh, our country has been really hampered and our presidency has been really hammered. 
And uh, frankly, uh, I think tonight's conversation with General Vallely will give our listeners a really good idea on what's been happening in our country. Uh, so with that, uh, Paul, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, I thank you for being our guest tonight. And I uh, I would like to uh, maybe give you an opportunity to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your background uh, and then we can move into the subject for the evening. Hello, Dan. Yes, happy to be with you. It's been a while since we've been able to uh, do a show together. It has. It has. So, uh, well, I'm my tickled background. that you're here. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, I sort of have a varied background. Uh, I went to West Point, graduated there in 61, spent 32 years in the Army, the last 15 years in special operations. In my last job, I was deputy commander, commanding general of the U.S. Army Pacific. And, uh, you know, left there, uh, went into business for a while. Uh, I was a CEO of a couple of corporations. And then uh, I was hired by Roger Ailes at Fox News in 2001 to uh, set up the coverage of the uh, war in Afghanistan and spent eight years on air with Fox News as their senior military analyst. And so now I'm a trustee of uh, the uh, Soldiers Memorial Fund, along with my wife, which is in memorial and dedicated to our son who we lost in Special Forces in 2004, and also chairman of Stand Up America U.S. Uh, It's been uh, around for about 10 years now, uh, primarily focused on national security and international affairs, those kinds of things. But our website is standupamericaus.org, so anybody can go there and join and get our newsletter. Uh, we probably have the best intelligence uh, coming out of really what's going on in the world, like the Middle East, Russia, and so on. So uh, that's a, sort of a capsuled uh, version of my 78 years on Earth, uh, Dan. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that is a very brief uh, capsule of it because uh, I know your expertise is in so many areas in international affairs that uh, we couldn't even begin to uh, uh, cover all of them. But I know that you do uh, the military analysis for the American Report. And uh, Mary Fanning and Claire Lopez and Dr. Peter Pry and a number of other guests that have been on our show uh, are with that organization, and they all, to a person, uh, have incredibly high regard for your expertise in so much of the international affairs. Um, I'd, I'd like to start the conversation tonight. Uh, maybe if you would give us a little bit of a uh, little bit of an overview and a background of some of the really important things that are happening in the world today, and how so many of those things have uh, Obama's fingerprints all over them, and uh, and how President Trump is trying to deal with some of those things. Okay, well, we sort of put it from a perspective, uh, Dan, and and the listeners as uh, threats to United States uh, national security, whatever those threats may be. Uh, I would like to tell your your audience over Stand Up America, I was very happy to provide uh, President Trump with his national theme of America First. I wrote those papers in uh, 2014 for the first time, and gave President Trump uh, two different themes, uh, 
2016. One was the uh, past glory from the Revolutionary War days, and then the second was the American First name, and he chose the American First. So we were very happy to be able to do that and uh, stay in the background on it. But uh, I think from the perspective of the threats, we have to look at a number of different things. We have to look uh, again at, uh, at the Middle East. We have to look at North Korea, Iran particularly, uh, uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the morphing of a lot of the uh, radical Islamic groups uh, around the world, some of uh, which are uh, providing um, an opportunity for radical Islamists to come across our southern border and even through our airports uh, on visas and other things. Uh, the southern border obviously is a threat. One of the biggest threats, of course, is our national debt, and we always have to consider that. But uh, at this point in time, General Mathis uh, and the national security team um, are, are focusing on uh, one area now, which would be in the Pakistan-Afghan area. And of course, Admiral Lyons, myself, and our Council for National Security, uh, we haven't agreed with the policy on Afghanistan since we went in and uh, took out the training camps in 2001. We should have never been drugged into a war uh, and trying to bring democracy uh, uh, into that country. Should have got in, got out, and uh, we didn't. And here we are 16 years plus and uh, still no real good policy, even though we've provided the Trump uh, administration uh, some options for pulling out, uh, I guess, of Afghanistan. But yet, providing our joint strike force capability to support the Afghan forces. And of course, we've done nothing about countering the uh, intelligence service of the Pakistani uh, government. Uh, and uh, from that standpoint, we've allowed Pakistan to continue to support uh, Taliban elements there. But now we have a whole different situation uh, in the Middle East. Uh, you have different alliances uh, that are have formed, for example, Saudi Arabia working with Israel now and the United States to counter the threats coming out of Iran. Uh, then you have different alliances when you look up at Turkey. Uh, you look at that uh, relationship, the military forces that have been doing cross-border operations into Syria. You've got Assad and his Syrian army. You've got rebel forces. You've got Kurds. And uh, you've got Iraq. Uh, uh, and got heavy-handed uh, uh, Iranian uh, forces of what they call the IRGC. And of course, they're moving now, trying to attempt to move on a roadway uh, in southern Syria into Lebanon, working with uh, their uh, uh, one of their uh, terrorist elements, very mm -hmm. big organization called Hezbollah. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, they still consider uh, Russia a big threat uh, to us. Uh, I don't consider Russia that big a threat. I think we need to work with Russia more to solve the situations in the Middle East because we will not see any kind of a uh, conclusion or peace over there unless we work with Russia. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the southern border, uh, we're currently walk working on a documentary uh, on what has to be done as far as our border operations. It's a new U.S. Border Patrol plan that we've developed, that we've also presented that to uh, uh, to President Trump. And it involves uh, basically conducting more offensive operations south of the border uh, to counter the cartels 
and counter all the illegal border crossers coming. So uh, that's sort of it in a nutshell. That's a lot, but uh, that's what we're working on. Well, that's a that's a big ticket, and uh, I know that uh, you and I have had this conversation for years about uh, what we what we did wrong in uh, in the Middle East. And the biggest thing that you talked about was uh, how you know as a as a general officer and an old warrior yourself. Uh, it's amazing how the people that don't know the first thing about tactics or uh, warfare seem to be the ones that are uh, in politics and end up calling the shots. And you have right. a project what, that you call the Lily Pad. Uh, uh, I, I, I won't call it a project, but a, a Lily Pad uh, concept. Yeah, strategy. a strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was to basically get it over with, get it done, uh, and and do it in a standoff position where you're not throwing American troops in harm's way. Um, would you maybe tell our listeners a little about that because I think maybe they need to be talking to the president as well. Well, when I worked on a project back in Washington, it was a new strategy, really called the Joint strike force operations capability where the army navy marines uh, uh air force all work on a particular uh, mission that you could form a force to counter whatever that threat may be uh if there's a threat off our coast or there's a threat of uh, training facilities for al-qaeda somewhere there's a, a nuclear target uh, that uh, a joint strike force would put team would be put together, including uh, all or portion of the elements of our armed forces. They would deploy from lily pads, uh, and lily pads really are uh, uh, A, B, and C. You have A lily pads, what we call A category. Those are established bases that we already have, uh, not only in the United States, but in the world. And we can use any of those bases to hop off of uh, toward leap from uh, to conduct and take out a certain target. Uh, for example, we have bases in Germany. If there is a target somewhere over in East Europe or northern uh, uh, in the Mediterranean area, we could launch from Germany. Then you have the B category lily pads, uh, which are uh, uh, in secure areas uh, around the world that we could use to launch operations from. And then, of course, the category C are what we call black operation sites, uh, which are clandestine covert sites that we we don't discuss, but we can launch special forces from there. But we can hit any target within 24 hours uh, anywhere in the world. And we've totally been against, uh, at least our group has, against establishing all of these bases around the world uh, and new bases such as we did in Afghanistan and, and, and in Iraq. And when we look back, we tried to tell President Bush that Iraq wasn't that big of a threat to us. Yes, they had some chemical, biological weapons, uh, but they were completely on their, I should say, derriere uh, economically. And Iraq was never really a threat to the United States. Just like when we go back and look at Vietnam, South Vietnam, Vietnam in itself is not a threat to the United States. That was a conjured up war by Johnson and uh, Again, after all those years in Vietnam, where I spent two years, uh, 
So these politicians leading us into these wars, like and losing 58,000 plus we lost in Vietnam, millions and millions of people killed and wounded for nothing. The same Absolutely. thing in Afghanistan. We get in, we knock those training sites out, we come back home. But we couldn't mm-hmm. tell President Bush or any of those people at that time. Of course, Obama wouldn't listen to anything. So we've had, uh, I would say, inept people conducting our national security uh, for decades now. Finally, we got a president, I think, it's putting it all together with General Mattis and uh, a new national security team. So I feel very confident we're not going to get into these unnecessary wars that are not a threat, direct threat to the United States, but we're going to focus on the threats to the United States and then take out those targets, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I uh, I think a lot of our listeners, any time they hear uh, that we're talking with a general officer, and this is just my uh, you know the the impression I've gotten from some of uh, some of our listeners. They think, well, uh, you know, everybody that's in the military, professional military, and especially general officers, are really incredible hawks, and all they want to do is fight wars. That is the exact opposite of my experience in dealing with you and other general officers is that you recognize how awful war really is and you know your idea is to go in and if you got to fight a war uh first of all congress should declare it not the u.n Absolutely. and then secondly uh when you go in you go in to win the damn thing and get out right and it doesn't necessarily have to be what we call a war I mean, if there's a target out there, there's a rogue element that's going to fire or bring a nuclear weapon into the United States. We're going after that target. You see, there's a whole different Mm -hmm. way of thinking. We're going after targets south of the border, wherever they may be, that's a threat to the United States. And we don't have to go into a full-blown war anymore uh, Mm -hmm. unless North Korea, you know, had the opportunity to launch a nuclear weapon against uh, uh, the United States, uh, but then it could go to a full-blown war. I don't see mm-hmm. that threat coming from Russia. Uh, they've been through it enough and lost uh, how many millions of uh, lives in, in Russia alone, so they understand what war is in and, and Europe. So it's a whole different concept uh, of how we uh, go after our threats, even from a budgeting standpoint, Dan. Mm-hmm. We've done it all backwards for decades. Oh, yeah. The way I was taught at West Point in the War College is that you determine the threat to the to the country. You have the armed forces uh, that are equipped and trained to meet those threats. All right. And Mm -hmm. then you have the budget to support that. They've been doing just the opposite of trying to fund billions of dollars into the Pentagon and come up with a lot of weapons programs, a lot of unnecessary spending because they weren't focusing on the targets or the absolute threats to America first. So I hope uh, General Mattis will get that uh, under control and we can uh, have the best armed forces in the world and be the most motivated to protect America and its citizens. Well, and the, the other part of this, and I know you and I have had this conversation as well, is how the U.S. military under the Obama administration and to a much lesser extent, but uh, uh, under the Bush administration and Clinton before him, uh, ended up being uh, experiments in uh, social progress, as they call it. And uh, 
in reality, what, what they've ended up doing is they've screwed up our military with all these crazy programs, uh, gay, lesbian, um, you know, and, and transgender things and all this stuff. Right. And, social engineering. Uh, that's what social engineering. Social yeah. 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 And uh, that is also something that I think most of our uh, top military people are totally against. And uh, frankly, I'm surprised that they've allowed it to go on as much as they have. Well, I know they're working on it. That You know, once you get all those laws and bills passed, so many things change. I think they're trying to unfold all of that now some to some degree. I don't know where it's going to go, but I know General Mattis is... Uh, uh, and his staff is working on those social issues, social issues, and getting back to training the force, arming the force, mm-hmm. and uh, so that at the tip of the spear, we're ready to go, and we are ready to protect America and its citizens. And just right. look at the internal toil moral today that we have, the attacks on our police. That that's a great threat. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside groups, uh, uh, ISIS, for example. Uh, planning cells and training people to come in and conduct uh, these attacks against soft targets, uh, shopping centers, our cities, our railways, or wherever it may be. And uh, that's why the police force, the border patrol, and so on are so critical. And they cannot have these sanctuary cities uh, where they're uh, uh, allowing uh, some of these criminals and uh, subversives uh, to take sanctuary. So, mm-hmm. no, you're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, the the uh, we we've had a couple of guests on, and you were on about a little over a year ago with Dr. Edwin Vieira, and we were talking about the role of the militia, and um, that is uh, coming back up because now uh, we've got all these groups like George Soros, and um, you know even the the communist Chinese are pumping millions of dollars into advertising campaigns to promote the disarming of America. And that would be one of the worst things we could possibly do. No, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, uh, you know, we we trust uh, the American gun owners. Uh, We do not trust those that are mentally ill or subversives that want to attack our schools and our innocent people and... uh, whether it's a discotheque or a club in Orlando or whatever it may be. But uh, we have got to support uh, our sheriffs, and we don't need a lot of these political sheriffs anymore. We need law enforcement sheriffs, just like David and Clark and I worked on, Sheriff Clark from Milwaukee. Right. Uh, and uh, these politicians that uh, uh, do not support the police. So uh, we've got a whole, um, what would I call it, uh, Many, many changes we have got to make uh, in America to make us strong again. But yeah. uh, the critical thing for the American people, do not put these progressive politicians in who do not understand how to protect America and how to create jobs and how to uh, lessen uh, regulatory control over the people. Uh, and uh, I think we'll be a success. We're going to turn this around, but it's tough. We've got so many left-wing progressive communists uh, 32 members of of Congress now have affiliated themselves with different communist organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know know, uh, Trevor Loudon was up in uh, your area and did a program for you at the uh, Glacier Forum. And 
that's his message is how the progressives have literally marched through the American institutions and now there are a lot of them that are part of uh, our congressional uh, committees and uh, it, it's scary. Yeah, it's very scary. Uh, and the fact we have dysfunctional uh, organizations like the FBI and Department of Justice uh, uh, that uh, have uh, basically tried to attempt a coup against the President of the United States, and that's mm-hmm. President Trump. It's what we call a silent coup. Uh, and the deep state of the people that we have embedded in the old bureaucracy uh, that have aligned themselves with this silent coup. So hopefully Jeff Sessions is going to get that worked out. We get a new FBI director, which we need, and uh, the head of the CIA that we can trust and have focus on uh, intelligence in regards to the security of the country. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're talking about common sense items here, Dan. They really are. Yeah, they are common sense, and uh, that's why I uh, labeled the – uh, the advertisement for this program turning away from communism because in, in reality, the last eight years, uh, the president uh, uh, before uh, President Trump, Mr. Obama, was a hardcore communist, and I don't think there's any question about that. No question about it. Where he trained, what he learned. Uh, Hillary Clinton's right there with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Thank- been a mess. I, I'll out, I, all I can say is I think the Lord's been on our side that gave us a chance uh, with President Trump, and we don't dare screw this up. If we if we don't help him to win this battle, and and we end up uh, losing the battle, we're going to lose the war, no doubt about that, it. There's no doubt, and we are at war, Dan, as you well know. Oh yeah, yeah. we are at war to save this country. Well, and I want people to realize uh, just exactly, you know, how how dedicated you are to that. I I think, uh, uh, of course, you know, as as a uh, a major general, two star general, uh, you have a lot of expertise to bring to the table, uh, and I know that a lot of the uh, retired military are probably more in tuned on things that are going on in the world now than maybe even they were while they were in active duty just because they've got the ability to to uh, go to different uh, more resources and have the time to do it. Uh, would you tell us what you think about the situation we're in right now with Russia, with Putin, and uh, you've been on my show before to talk about why we need to be working with Russia in the Middle East. Well, as you may know, I uh, I was in Russia uh, last year. I set up the meeting between Putin and Trump for the G20 meeting when I was there with the foreign ministry. But I can tell you that uh, cyber terrorism, the Russians are very big into that. Uh, they will attempt to use what means they can, just as we do and other countries do, to influence other countries in certain ways. We're all guilty of that. Uh, We counted up at least 12 elections over the last 15 years (laughs) that the United States has involved itself with. So we're not innocent uh, by any long shot on this. 
But I think from the standpoint of uh, Russia, I think Putin uh, and Trump need to get together on the Middle East. We could bring Turkey into that, Erdogan, because only the leaders of these superpowers are going to be able to make the changes that are required. The other countries really don't have the capability. The European countries have very weak leadership overall, except for countries like Poland and some of the Eastern uh, European countries. Uh, you have progressives all over Canada. Uh, we'd like to see Mexico stand up to the plate and really tighten up who comes across their borders mm-hmm. from the south. And then from, and through Cuba, you know, they have that flight. If you want to get into Cuba, you fly through Mexico City and back and forth. Uh, but there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, we're going to have to do. And I've never seen a president in such a short period of time, a little over a year, who has accomplished more than President Trump has across the board. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> you know, the one thing that uh, we haven't talked about, but, uh, you know, we've kind of brushed on is, uh, the Islamic influence in our federal government. When Obama was in and with Hillary Clinton in the State Department, we ended up with an awful lot of uh, Islamic radicals in positions of influence within our, our own government. Uh, what, is, what is President Trump doing to try to winnow that number down and try to get some of those threats out of our system? Well, first of all, in the uh, Pentagon, they're bringing back training now to train our people in radical Islam and what's being done. That was absolutely uh, uh, eliminated by Obama. And uh, the sympathetic, uh, I guess, condition of our government towards uh, uh, radical Islamic groups or groups like CARE, for example, Council of Arab Relations in America. They're based in Virginia and other organizations. And then members of Congress who are aligned with a lot of Islamic organizations. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them are not radical. We know that. But some are, like CARE, or they fund Hezbollah. They fund Hamas. And so they need to be closed down. And any of these mosques that have been built across the country that preach hate and preach Sharia law uh, and the caliphate, they need to be closed down. They don't need to be teaching young people who have come to this country to be terrorists and to be radicals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that has to be done in re-educating all of our people on the exact threat of radical Islam. Well, I don't know if you uh, have a a finger on uh, on the pulse of this or not, but I imagine you do through all your various contacts. Uh, Radical Islam and the preaching of Sharia laws had a huge impact in Great Britain. And uh, I would, would, in France, I would like to hear what what you're hearing about uh, how much influence they're having in those governments. Well, they're going through a transition now. I think they're, I think they're finally realizing that the influx of uh, millions of refugees into Europe, thanks to Angela Merkel in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, that these enclaves have been set up in Holland, Great Britain, France. We call them no-go zones. 
basically uh, the uh, the uh, Muslims want to control uh, their areas in these cities through Sharia law and through the imams. And I was in a no-go area north of Paris uh, last year, last January, a week ago, or a year ago, and they do exist. And so uh, they do not assimilate. They want to establish Islamic traditions and values, and they want to expand that out. And, and Sweden's another one. Sweden's mm -hmm. probably in worse shape than any of the European countries. And so they're battling that right now. And as you, as you can see, if you look, most of the uh, refugees come over, the young men in their 20s and 30s. Yes, there right. are women and children. There's some older. But the groups that I saw in Europe were mostly two-thirds were at least uh, uh, males in the 20 to 30-year-old range. Mm -hmm. And they are not assimilating. They have no skills, basically. So they're not joining in the workforce. And they're basically gone on these established government benefit programs. You'd have to Google and see what's going on in Sweden. That'll tell you of the country that suffered the worst. And then Holland, Great Britain, uh, and of course in France and in Italy. Italy, uh, you don't hear much about it, but they are really going through a lot of critical situations, uh, of the, particularly the North Africans coming across uh, the Mediterranean into the ports. So, uh, mm -hmm. anyhow, no, I, it's not a good situation. I, and they don't have strong leadership, but they are changing. I think uh, President Trump's had an effect on the leaders over there to some degree. Well, I I, uh, I hope so. And I know that Angela Merkel, you mentioned uh, her policies as far as immigration, but uh, is, is, uh, is Germany starting to turn... Uh, away from that, uh, we, you know, we have to realize Angela Merkel was the head of the Green Party uh, before she became prime minister of uh, of Germany. Uh, she is a very communistic gal, and uh, she's certainly pushing, uh, you know, the the open border policy throughout Europe. Uh, is that turning around at all in Germany? Oh, yeah. They've uh, had members of parliament over there now. Uh, they've had uh, many, many riots in various German cities. Uh, they're continuing uh, each and every month over there. So there is an uprising going on in Germany. Good, good. Well, um, I, I know that Bob uh, Barnett is on the line, and I, Bob uh, wanted to say hello, and he uh, had some uh, questions and some things that he wanted to talk to you about. So, uh, Bob, are you still there? You bet. I wouldn't miss Paul. How are you? <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. Happy to hear your great voice again from Colorado, I guess, huh? Uh, still there, still there. Great. Oh, that that was a 2014 in Scottsdale. I got five minutes with you, and, and we really have uh, touched base a number of times since on on the ra radio. And and I got smart and raided your kitchen cabinet and picked up Dan to be a better host than me. <laughs> well, you were great too, Bob. Always enjoyed working with you. Well. I tell you, I really appreciate uh, the insight you bring, and uh, we have, uh, you've hit a whole lot of high spots here, and, and 
really important high spots, both domestic and international. And I remember one of the first things you and I ever discussed uh, when it was in person was the lily pad program because it's just it's just so straightforward and logical that uh, somehow those things are always last, aren't they? Well, they seem to be. And, Bob, one of the things I think we talked about, I mentioned, I use the aircraft carrier groups where there's 8 to 12 ships in an aircraft carrier group uh, that has more firepower than 80% uh, of the countries of the world. So oh, yeah. uh, with the Marines on board there, we have a lily pad in our uh, c- aircraft carrier groups around the world. Sure. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't think about that, but we can launch anywhere in the Mediterranean, the Far East, Pacific, Atlantic, and uh, uh, the aircraft carrier groups uh, are some of the best lily pads we have to conduct operations. Well, and being properly used on this Korea matter right now. Yes, exactly. I uh, the real thing that the real thing that uh, that you said earlier is the Afghanistan thing because this movie that's out, Twelve Strong, is book and page the right way to do it, and and then if we hadn't moved in all the bases and conventional forces, we'd have had it made. Yeah, absolutely. And we knew then, I, I remember going on a show, Fox show interview in January of 2002 after we had destroyed the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and moved them out of uh, Afghanistan. And uh, I knew we were liaisoning with Major General, uh, I'm trying to think of his name uh, right now, I'll, I'll think of it, but uh, he was uh, the senior Northern uh, Coalition uh, General and if we had put the country under him at the time and just supported him, we would have been a lot better off. But uh, Central Command and the generals and admirals and the Bush administration wanted to bring democracy into mm-hmm. Afghanistan. They wanted to, you know, uh, win the hearts and minds of the people. And we knew at that time that, that was not. In January, because I said on air, this is not a good move. They're going to start putting bases in. They're going to start... Uh, spreading a lot of units out in this area, which is still uh, not a peaceful area, because then they had started, as you remember, uh, conducting operations from Pakistan back into Afghanistan. And, of course, that's where bin Laden went, as you remember, from well, Afghanistan. And as you pointed out so well, Pakistan, the, the thumb in our eye is always Pakistan. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we, we gave them how many? $2 billion a year for how many years? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. All of the above yeah. for as long as I can remember. Yeah. No, I, I am, am really appreciative that you could come on tonight because uh, these are things that you have firsthand knowledge day to day. I remember, I, I you know, I watch StandUpUS.org religiously because that's where that's where all the current, correct, first-hand information shows up normally. And uh, right. people just go there. They can, they can stay on top of most of it. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Yeah. I, we had an event for Dinesh D'Souza here last Saturday night, and 400 people here in Montana turned out. It was a wonderful presentation uh, by Dinesh. But uh, a young lady uh, came up to me, and she says, you know uh, – your reach is much more 
uh, networked uh, through social media than you think. And I said, what are you talking about? She says, everything you post gets posted on the social media sites and passed along to a network of people, not only in the United States, but in Europe and the Middle East. And I says, well, I didn't realize the extent of what we were providing as far as intelligence and articles and so on. She says, yeah, your reach is greater than you think. And I, I was very happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Well, your Facebook edition has been more than significant. I'm I'm not <laughs> – I can't keep up with all that stuff. But <laughs> I know clear well, back Well, I have to have people, you, you know. you got to have – as a general, you got to have people, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can – I can remember that conversation, Paul. One time you said uh, you need to use your people, and uh, Bob and I'll tell you, our, our people are us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm your people, and you're my people. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. Keep trying to keep trying to teach me at seventy three what the kids learn at six, and I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, that is well, great to talk to you, Bob. Great to talk to you. And... Well, uh, Paul, I want to I want to mention something and uh, do this with Bob on the line too. But uh, one of the things that we've talked about over and over again is how when we go in and invade a country and then set up all these bases and do all this stuff, uh, what we're doing is we're ending up being a recruiting arm for our opposition and the longer we're there the more recruitment happens as a result of that and it it just makes sense you told me one time what what do you think uh, we would do if if uh, somebody invaded our country and uh, set up bases in our country it would create a lot of opposition inside the country and that's why your uh, lily pad uh, concept or uh, strategy is so important because it keeps us outside of that uh, social engineering uh, nonsense and, and, and we stay out of their country and I think that's really important. Paul, are you still there? Hello. Yeah, I see him on, or he actually just fell off, so he should be back in a minute. Oh, okay, okay. Um, all right, well, anyway, Bob, you're still on? Of course. Okay, what do you think of what I just said? Oh, I <laughs> right on the money. Yeah. Right on the Great, money. Greatest uh, recruitment tool in the world is all these busybodies, all these people that think we've got to a force of our way of life on everybody else around the world. And uh, if we do it, it's the only way that it can possibly be. And I think that's the stupidest uh, strategy that you could possibly have, uh, especially in a military situation, but really in any kind of political situation. you know, we can't assume that just because uh, we live a particular way that the rest of the world wants to live that way too. Well, and notwithstanding the fact that that when when these when these military matters are being run out of a White House and you got twenty eight, thirty, thirty two year old uh, young people trying to tell generals what to do, 
you know you got a bad deal going. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, um, and and that's exactly we've politicized our military, and our military is there to do one thing: they're there to kill people and win wars, and. Uh, that's what they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to be social engineers and uh, policemen of the world. It just doesn't work that way. That's why Dan, I'm back like on. Darryl we got Maddox cut off. I'm sorry. And you run it is what makes sense. Okay. Well, Paul, I, uh, I'm sure you listened to part of what we were talking about here. Uh, I'm glad to hear you back on because I think a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners don't realize. Uh, just how much our military leaders detest the politicization of the uh, the military by politicians and, and people that uh, don't have a clue how to win a war. Well, that's exactly right. We attempt, uh, you know, in getting the best people we can in the armed forces, uh, still a volunteer organization, Though I think we should go back to the draft in my own way, I can see universal service as being very uh, positive for America to have all of our people at least serve their country uh, for a couple of years of their life. I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. But, uh, I don't know whether we'll ever see that or not, but we should keep pushing it, I think. And I think a lot of young people would like to serve our government in some way. Well, I think they would, and the thing is, the whole militia concept is exactly what that's uh, supposed to do. Uh, the The idea of a well-regulated militia means that we've got a whole bunch of uh, people who are serving uh, at, at the request of the, um, the the local governments and the state governments, and they're more likely to be able to uh, provide security and, um, you know, the sort of uh, help and policing in national emergencies and those sorts of things. Yeah, that's right. Well, listen, Dan and Bob, I've got to go here. I've got another commitment, so uh, I hope we I was on there long enough for us to talk about the things you wanted to. Well, I think we did, Paul, and I thank you very much. Uh, General, would you like to, uh, again, give uh, the listeners uh, your organizations and the best way that they can support uh, Stand Up America and uh, also uh, the other organizations that you are involved with? Well, we have two foundations, the Soldiers Memorial Fund, and they can go on, on, the, on the Internet and join and donate. It's soldiersmemorialfund.org. The second foundation is the Stand Up America organization, and that's StandUpAmericaUS.org. And uh, join us. Uh, you can go on there and request our newsletter, which comes out every Saturday morning, and that's got a really in-depth situation on a lot of our uh, intelligence uh, reports and so on. Well, thank you, General, and uh, I want to uh, also uh, wish you and your family the very best, and uh, I thank you for being our guest to, uh, tonight, and I want to mention that you are going to be one of our speakers at the Red Pill Expo uh, in Spokane in, on June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, and you're going to be ad addressing a lot of the issues that you just addressed tonight. That's correct, Dan. I'm going to be very... Uh 
happy to be there and look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we will uh, stay in touch. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Bob. Bye-bye. Sound great. Thank you for coming on. My, my pleasure. Bye. You bet. Good night. Well, Bob, uh, let, let's talk about the well-regulated militia. We've got uh, a few minutes here, and I know you and I have had uh, numerous conversations about uh, what's been going on with these school shootings. Um, and I've had a couple of different shows on uh, in uh, uh, different uh, different areas and different uh, on the other network that I'm working with, which is the uh, the microeffect.org, and right. um, and as well at RNN, a Republic News Network. And uh, you know, let's let's talk about these school shootings. The worst possible scenario that we could do is uh, these gun-free zones. Gun-free zones guarantee that nobody but a nutcase or somebody that wants to break the law is going to be armed. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Well, I'm an absolute constitutional carry believer. Uh, the, The whole idea of massive police forces turning turning schools into prisons and locking down doors and and uh, making it literally a totally controlled society is completely antithetical to everything that has to do with the founding of this nation. Mm-hmm. And for the the mistakes we've made, in my opinion, it started, Paul just told us what the biggest mistake we made. You know, no one likes the draft, but you can go clear back to Roman society and its fall when citizens are not willing to determine through putting their own existence on the line in self-defense and control of their society, they lose their society. Mm -hmm. And the draft involved citizens, not only volunteers. And that's why I absolutely agree with him when he discussed the draft. Uh, actually, I was in when it, at a time when the draft was on. Yeah, Some of the too. finest soldiers we had were draftees. Well, I volunteered for the draft, so I, I, I know it existed uh, oh, when yeah. I was in. Yeah. No, I, that, he, he points out that part of domestic responsibility it was lacking. And we've now had a volunteer army for going on the third generation, and or I should say military. Mm-hmm. And look what we have. We don't have a belief in a duty system anymore. And we right. don't even have a belief in a duty system in the school setting where we've got a coach having to run at automatic gunfire, unarmed, when a man 
owned one. And mm-hmm. when if he had no. been carrying, could have put an end to it right there in right Florida. There. Well, you and know that you have these people drumming up school kids that it's all the guns' fault. Yep. And and so you I see that I think you're right. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's a matter of personal responsibility, which is what was originally intended in the duty of every abled man. And and today, man and woman, mm-hmm. uh, to have militia duty as a responsibility, as a citizen responsibility. No, that's right. That's right. That's that's what the whole concept of a militia is: that every able-bodied citizen would have the uh, ability or the requirement that they perform something to support the community, and they go through training. And this comes straight out of Switzerland. Uh, that, that's where the concept was originated. And you take a look at the Swiss. They've never had a war, a, ma- a major war. They've never had uh, an invasion of Switzerland. Uh, and one of the main reasons is because every able-bodied citizen in that country is trained to pick up a military arm and to be able to resist anybody that comes into that country. And, and I required rem- to annually qualify with those. Oh, owners. you bet. You bet. You bet. Continual training. And uh, that is what the idea of a well-regulated militia is all about. And frankly, it's something that needs to happen because we'll, we'll look at it this way, Bob. Um You've got a well-regulated militia. You've got a local group, and and the citizens between the ages of, let's say, 15 and 45, or 16 and 45, or 20 and 45, it doesn't matter, um, are required to do something. They can train, and if they are conscientious objectors or they don't care to uh, pick up a firearm, they can still do something. They can do logistics. They can cook meals. They can do whatever is necessary to support that well-regulated militia. And uh, that is something that if we were to do that, we could get by with a fraction of the military that we have right now. Well, certainly in the support roles, the problem is we, we here, the simultaneous things that occurred between the 60s when I served and now, a uh, number of generations later, is piece by piece, individual responsibility is reduced, service requirement by draft eliminated, integration of social programming accelerated, and to the extent that we even treat, and this is my my pet peeve, and I know some people really take exception, but I don't believe, I was an infantry officer, I don't believe we have any business at all trying to treat close combat like it's Title IX in high school. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It is just yeah. not. Uh, these close combat roles are terrible. And enough said on that because that's that's a pet peeve. My and I, as you know, I had some significant uh, female Marines and and Army uh, individuals, female that that uh, have said the same thing in the vast majority of the force. And wants no part of it on that on the mm-hmm. female side. Transgender issues you brought up. I can't think of anyone more conflicted. Why in the hell do we want an individual who's that conflicted in any kind of leadership role where life and death are involved? I don't really understand. Well, Bob, the thing that, uh, and, and this wasn't meant on my part to target individuals. What I'm saying is that uh, we don't need to institutionalize uh, abnormal behavior or uh, situations that, uh, quite frankly, uh, I'm sure there have always been uh, lesbian, uh, gay uh, people in the military, but we didn't, uh, we didn't, institutionalize it and I think or celebrate it or celebrate it and I think that is a a very important thing Uh, I I don't think we ought to target those individuals on the other side of that coin I don't think we ought to try to uh, sell that as being perfectly natural normal behavior and that uh, somehow if we don't uh, believe in that ourselves that we're some kind of homophobes or, or uh, uh, you know, other other such names. Uh, the fact is, is that we just want the military to be the military. If if and and we don't want them involved in every brush fire war all over the world. Uh, every time something comes up, we turn them into the policemen of the world because, frankly, that was never intended by our founders. And I believe that's not ever been intended by our uh, best military leaders. No, they absolutely don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, not not one that I've ever talked to that's been there, done that, wants anything to do in it for practice. Right, right. No, you're right on the money, Bob. Well, um, I, I, I'll tell you that uh, this... Uh, Red Pill Expo, I'm going to take a minute here to let people know. Uh, the Red Pill Expo is coming up in Spokane, Washington, and it will be June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, and we are bringing together an incredibly uh, diverse but yet an incredibly talented group of speakers uh, we will have something uh, north of 20 speakers there over a, a two-day event. Uh, the 21st will really be the first night and just uh, a few programs there, but it will be primarily a Friday uh, and Saturday event all day. And uh, this is going to be one of the most incredible freedom events in the world, not just in the United States in 2018. It will be in Spokane, Washington. It will be at the Spokane Convention Center. 
we anticipate that we will have uh, somewhere around 12 to 1500 gifts at this event and we will also be live streaming this event to who knows how many others so if any of our listeners are interested go to redpillexpo.org and at that site you will uh, find out all the information on the event and you will find out how to sign up for that event and uh and I can that, attest that it's a dynamic event because I was at the one in in Montana and you can't do better than this one no you really can i mean it's two days of the best speakers in the world and you could hear uh the excitement in uh, general valley's voice uh, he is uh, one of a whole series of speakers with that kind of credibility. And all I can say is it's going to be a dynamite event. So uh, I suggest our listeners get on and sign up for that event. We've got uh, before the 30th of March, we've got a, a special reduced rate. But after the 30th of March, that rate will go up. And so you can save 15%. Uh, by going online and signing up for that event. And again, it's redpillexpo.org. And uh, go to that site and get information. And um, uh, I thank everybody for listening to today's program. And Kelby, I turn the program back over to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's show with Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. God bless. Good night. We'll see you next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific.